we even saw some therapists and I actually had a therapist who told us at one point to just quit and go each our own way. And, and I really? Mm-hmm. Yep. So he he said, Well, just just get a divorce and you know, start over. And I said, What? You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related. Real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. David, you weren't here to interview Claudette with me. Nope, I was not. You were not. <laughs> I know it's um, always different when you're not here. I'm glad you didn't say better. No. <laughs> you definitely had some um, entertainment, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, too bad people don't get to hear the uncut versions. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear the uncut versions, believe me. I don't even want to have to hear them when I edit them. (laughs) Well, Claudette has been a stepmom since 1990. That's probably before a lot of these people even listening to the podcast were born. Wow, that's crazy. I just know in 90, I was going into my first year of college. (laughs) And I was in my last year of high school. Oh, you were just a baby. I know. That was a long time ago. Lord, let's not think about that. So for 29 years, Claudette has been a stepmom. Wow. She actually had a therapist tell her, her and her husband went to a therapist because they were struggling, mm-hmm. to just leave. Wow. Are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah. I was shocked when she said that. Was it like abusive stuff? Or? No. Just the blended crap. That's the therapist saying, I don't know how to fix this, so just leave. Well, you got to remember how long ago that was. Right. Like how many blended family therapists were there back then? Right, and there wasn't Google. Mm-hmm. Rondia was probably still a baby. You mean there wasn't the internet? I thought the internet always existed. No. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't Rondia. There wasn't, wasn't Google. There wasn't Nacho Kids. There were, All these methods that people take for granted now were not available back then. Yeah, so she decided to get her degree or whatever and all this um, behavioral stuff to help her Wow. with the blend. Did it work? Yeah, she's been married 29 years. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, wow. She refers to blended families, and I really like this, as micro-communities. Hmm. I thought I'd never heard that, and I, I really like that. Yeah. You know, we tell people all the time, you have to sometimes get into the mindset that you have two different families living under the same roof. Right, and people will say, I can't handle the thought of two different families living under the same roof or feel segregated or whatever. Well, it's not a bad thing. No. I guess technically you have three, right? You have her family, his family, and then a combined family. Even that confi- combined family is just the two adults. Right. Right. You know, because, you know, you have you and your son, you have me and my sons, mm-hmm. and then you and I are together. So there's definitely, there's three different family dynamics happening at one time. Right. And if we had an hour kid, Then there's four. Well, I guess that would fall under the three. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. That'd still be three. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I thought that was pretty cool, the micro communities. And then we talked about how... You have to have hope that your relationship will work and be all in, or why, why even try if you don't have hope? Yeah, we deal with that oftentimes when people say, you know, I'm one foot out the door and I'm trying to fix this. I'm like, eh. Well, you got to pull your for- foot back in. You got to pull your foot. You got to pull your foot back in and shut the door if you're going to try to make it work because you can't be half in and it work. It just it doesn't work that way. Mm-mm. That's like being half in on a diet. Mm-hmm. You know, in the mornings, I'm going to diet, and in the evenings, I'm eating chocolate cake. <laughs> it's not going to work. Yeah, one of them's not going to work. 
Yeah. So, well, I know when so you give up the diet. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you and I were having problems, we 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 always had this mentality that when I'd say I'm done, I'm done. And you know, fortunately, I don't think either one of us looked at each other and said I'm done. We were close, um, but we were we were so close to that. We weren't one foot out the door, but we definitely had our hand on the doorknob. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and we were fighting on who was going to get out the door yeah, first. <laughs> yeah, you know, we were going through that time where you know you weren't looking forward to coming home. You weren't looking forward to spending time. With, I thought I had made a mistake getting married, right? Bringing my kid all the way out here, and right. And I don't know that even even in the conversations you and I were having, they were oftentimes very raw, meaning that we weren't trying to pull punches and, you know, I don't want to hurt her feelings or I don't want to hurt his feelings. I mean, we were <laughs> we were brutally honest with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and remember, I'm the sensitive one, y'all. Yeah. I will I will say, though, I, I do think the honesty was helpful, even though it was hurtful. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. You know, but at the same time, I do know, at least for me, um, when we hit that really rock bottom point, I do know that I I said some things I shouldn't have said, and uh, because I I was trying to make it, if you wanted to leave, I was trying to make it easier for you to do that, and um, you know that's just how bad it was. It was just that bad. <laughs> I'm having PTSD feelings right now. <laughs> I know it was terrible. You, you can see it on my face, can't you? Mm-hmm. It's like a little sadness just comes across my eyes. Well, it it's sadness that we were there, but to me it. it I'm elated that we came back from that because oh, it definitely can, made us stronger. If you can I mean, come back from that, dude, I'm telling you. Well, they can't. People can come back from that. I know. We see it every day. I know, but you know, having lived that, you know what hope is all about. You know how you can, you know, pull yourself up from the the depths of despair and build something that's amazing. During that time, um, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but during that time, I was looking for a job. I had um, quit my pre- previous job because um, it was too stressful. It was with everything that was going on with us and that job, it, I just, I couldn't cope. Mm-hmm. And um, I left. And so during the midst of the worst part of what we were going through, I was going on job interviews. Yeah. And people say, well, you know, you can't help it if you're sad or you can't change it if you're mad. Let me tell you something. Every job interview I went on, those people had no clue that my life on the other side was falling apart completely, like no clue mm-hmm. whatsoever. And because, of course, they wouldn't have offered me the job, which I did get offers. And um, I remember um, I didn't want to go to work for this one place. I just I didn't feel good about it. But it was the only one at the time. And then this other place had called and I went for the interview there, and I was like, that's it. I love it. I mean, I remember telling you that um, the lady that I met with, that I just I bonded with her. Mm-hmm. There was something about it. And I didn't tell her what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, she she didn't know till probably, I'd say, six months to a year after I'd been there. We were talking, and I said, you know, um, when I came for that interview, I said, David and I were pretty much on the brink of divorce. I wasn't even sleeping in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. I had my own little room set up here in the office. And um, she's like, how did you do that? And I said, I just couldn't focus on it. I had to focus on getting a job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not like I got in the parking lot after the interview and was like, my life's falling apart. It, it wasn't like that. Um, I had to tough it up, you know. Mm-hmm. 
do what you got to do kind of thing. Now, I'm curious, though, were you looking at, at this time, were you looking at, I've got to get a job um, so I can, you know, I can move out if things don't go right? Or or was it just, I got to get a job because I got to get, get a job. That's just all there is to it. And, it has, and I'm still hoping that we, we can mend this relationship. Well, I had only been un- unemployed for several months, mm-hmm. and I was getting unemployment. I don't know that I really thought of it as getting a job so I could get out. But I do know in the back of my head, I was still kind of in single mom mode. Mm -hmm. So I had to take care of my son. And I can't take care of my son if I don't have a job. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I was ever thinking I got to get a job so I can have money to leave. It was I need a job because that's what I need. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible times we had. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So the whole point of that is there really is power in being able to um, control your thoughts and your thought patterns and not letting um, things consume you. Yeah. And I mean, these job interviews weren't short interviews. I was in there like two and three hours. So, I mean. Yeah. It wasn't like pull it together for 15 minutes. Yeah. No, it was pretty much, you know. You can't focus on this right now. You can't think about it. You've got to focus on what's in front of you and deal with that, and then you can deal with it if you need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having uh, having one foot outdoors is not an option. No. no, but anyway, we made it from there, and uh, well, and I think a lot of people they put that one foot out the door because they're just so frustrated and they're so wrapped up in focusing on the negative they forget why they love that person or why they're with that person in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a proven fact that we tend to remember things that hurt us more than things that made us happy. Oh, yeah. The, well, the other side of it, too, that we see sometimes is people people do bail out on that relationship. And then two years down the road, they're in another one. And they're like, I'm having the same issues I had in the last one. You know, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, the you're in the same boat. Mm-hmm. You so just address with, anything. Yeah, you're just with a different person. You still have to understand how do we address these issues. You believe that the issues is the relationship, and oftentimes it's not. It's the issues are with how everybody's dealing with their relationships. Everybody's so, reactions and emotional reactions. Right. So you either you either learn the tools you need in the one you're in, or you're going to jump and find another one, and, and likely you're going to be back in the same boat that mm-hmm. you were before. Not all the time. Sometimes you do find somebody that um, just absolutely works out better, but mo- more times than not, that that's not the case. Right. And, of course, um, with Claudette, we talked about journaling. Um, yeah. She's got a lot of journals from her time where she was struggling. Yeah. And I told her um, that I hope that she puts in her will or something to have those burned <laughs> because I didn't really enjoy going through my mom's journals and seeing how, you know, I had hurt her in ways when she had wrote her therapeutic journaling. Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, it's really interesting, and I enjoy talking to Claudette. She's got a bunch of experience and um like i said i like her view on it being a micro community Mm -hmm. and she she went through some stuff but she overcame and 29 years y'all 29 years yeah i actually have to credit claudette a little bit with the some changes we made in the academy because around the same time i was teetering on do we need to add journaling um, that functionality of private secure journaling inside the academy and the feedback I was getting from most people was, 
I don't know if I'd use it or not, um, but it's a great idea. Uh, so when she started talking about how it's helped her so much and all that, I said, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to add it to the community, you know, suck up the cost of whatever it is. And we didn't raise the cost of the, of the academy to make it happen. You know, we added added that in there. And so now people have the ability to go in and create a digital journal or journals. Nobody can see it. They're the only ones that can see it. Um, and um, and it gives them a, a, a safe place where they can go in and, and do a, a gratitude journal or uh, a dream journal or a blended family journal or whatever. There's tons yeah, of different Yeah, it, it doesn't have to be um, all the good stuff. Like, it doesn't have to be just a gratitude journal, but you don't want to make it just a complaint journal either. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say if you feel like writing down your thoughts and your struggles helps you, then do that, but also make an effort every day to write down three to five things that you're grateful for because studies have proven that being grateful and having a gratitude journal can change your life. It really can Mm -hmm. because, once again, you're feeding your mind positive stuff. Yeah. I know some people uh, that when they do have the complaints, if it's on paper, they write it all out, and then they take that piece of paper and they and they burn it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if it's digital, they'll type everything out. They'll do their little rant, and then they'll delete it. Yeah, just uh, to get it out. Yeah, and, and don't do this in your email inbox because I have I have heard of people that have did their email rant and then somehow it got sent. <laughs> uh, that happened to me kind of one time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so do it in the in the academy private journal yeah you know rant in there and then delete it if you want to delete it that's fine or leave it in there the only people that can get access to it is whoever you, you yeah. gave your yeah i mean login information to and it's completely secure when i say secure i mean even we can't get to it as right. being admins it is it is locked out so only the person that is the member can get to it nobody can see it so if you tell me something's wrong with your journal and you can't see something or whatever sorry can't help you because it is secure <laughs> to the point where nobody can see it yep <laughs> all right so let's talk to claudette and hear about her 29 years of the blend oh she even went and lived in a women's shelter for a brief amount of time oh uh-uh. yeah wow very good interview here yeah well let's get into it i'm interested let's go There is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle stepfamily challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit nachokidsacademy.com and sign up today to join other step parents who are seeing the life-changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's nachokidsacademy.com. Today, we have Claudette Chenevere, the stepmom coach. How are you doing, Claudette? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing great. So tell us a little bit about your story, um, your blended family, and how you got started doing the stepmom coaching. Well, thank you. So I've been a stepmom since 1990, so that means 29 and a half years. And uh, when I met my husband, it was actually a blind date or before pre-computer dates. And, um, you know, I thought it was going to be easy. I had a son of my own from a previous relationship. He had two daughters around the same age. And I felt like this isn't going to be hard, right? We both know how to parent. We have, like, 
kids are the same age and so that'll be easy well if you're a stepmom everyone knows it's not as easy as we think it is right right so um within about four or five years of our relationship we started to struggle a lot especially in um parenting our kids we were being divided along our biological kids line type of thing and um at that time our kids were becoming young teenagers and uh, part of the issue were that a lot of it were traditional um teen issues and other things were typical step family issues but we didn't know about it um obviously this was before facebook before any kind of social media this was before the internet as we know it right google didn't even exist back then <laughs> can you think can you imagine that yes. no google so uh we had very little resources to support us to help us we even saw some therapists and i actually had a therapist who told us at one point to just quit and go each our own way and I really mm -hmm. yep so he he said well just just get a divorce and you know start over and i said what i'm gonna start over and we're still gonna have the same problems with whoever comes into our life exactly that's what we tell people all the time when they want to give up i'm like wait a minute you're not resolving the issue and the chances of you being in another blended or step family is so high you might as well figure it out with the person you're trying with now exactly and so part of a part of our problem was that my mother-in-law didn't like me she didn't approve of me she thought that i wasn't the the person for her son and she kept reminding me that i wasn't her granddaughter's mother and i said I know this. I know I'm not their mother, but they're still coming into my house and we need to have some rules and stuff like this. And my husband was very protective of his daughters. There was some guilt involved in this. And so a lot of a lot of issues resolved around, you know, what is it that we're supposed to do? And we had no answers to this. Right. And so in 1996, we, 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 set, we separated. Um, I left after um, an incident that happened. And so I went to stay at a women's shelter for about two and a half months with my son. During that time, we sat and, and thought a lot about what it was that we wanted as a relationship. And thank goodness that we had um, another therapist who told us don't make any drastic changes don't sign a lease don't you know move all your stuff and out just take a break and, and take it take a breather mm -hmm. which is what we did so when we finally decided to come back together one of the things I told my husband was what is it you want your daughters to grow up thinking about you so what is the legacy you want to leave our kids, like my son as well, and, and what is the legacy I want to leave our kids? And one was to never give up when, the, the, when it gets hard in a relationship. To do what you need to do to make a rela the relationship better. 
we wanted to teach our kids that there are problems in any relationship and you need to work through it. So having said that, I still didn't have any answers to how to be a step parent. So I decided to go back to school. I studied psychology, communication, conflict resolution, anything that had to do with step families. And I earned a degree at George Mason in psychology of communication with a minor of in step family and conflict resolution. And from there I understood, you know, that you know, step families are different than traditional families. We can't parent the kids as we would if there are your biological kids. You need to have some some boundaries. You need to have some rules in the house. There needs to be some kind of structure and there needs to be some place where everybody can feel safe and secure in the home knowing they're not going to be rejected or put out because you're not my kid type of thing. Right, right. I know a lot of times we see, um, I, w- I want your opinion on this, we'll see where the dad moved in with his kids into the woman's house and she'll say, this is my house and my rules and my whatever and it, it bothers me because is it not your husband's house too or your significant others? And their kids should feel like that is their home too. Exactly. Yes. So whenever you create a, a step family, whenever you're moving together, it should become our house. Right? right. It's not your house, my house. It's our house. You're building. I like to think of families as communities. And um, I read a book many years ago, and the title is Community from Peter Block. And for me, that was quite transformational in that, you know, I learned about communities and the importance of being in the community. And so I see families as micro communities where we learn everything we need to learn in order to live in the outside world. So if you're having a home and you're telling your kids, this is my house, it's not yours, you're only here two days or four days out of the month, so you you don't really belong here, we're creating a sense of distance to the kids saying, yeah, you're not not part of my community. Even, Even though I love your dad or I love your mom, you're like the exception you're you're the outsider and so as as stepmoms we feel often feel like outsiders and so whenever you're treating your step kids like this isn't your home you're you're essentially telling them well you're an outsider you're not part of my tribe you're not part of my community you know i'm not interested in getting to know you as a you rather than you know comparing them well you're just like your mother you're just like your father and i hear that a lot now i'll admit i have said that before especially to my son regarding his dad and i said that to the kids even though i regretted it after um you know it's important for us to understand that as a community we don't need to agree on everything but as long as we have a common goal Mm-hmm. to work together and to define what that goal is, right? Uh, and for each community or for each family or stepfamily, that goal can be different. For some people, I just want to raise these kids to be 
healthy and productive so when they leave home they can function as adults for others i want us to be close i want us to share a lot of time together i want us to feel like where we can depend on one another so each family decides what their main vision or mission as a family is yeah i recently wrote a blog um about you're not a nuclear family stop trying to force it to be one and people will say, well, I don't want a divided family. Well, buddy, that's what you've got. Yeah. And, you know, David's got his kids. I've got my kid. I raise my kid. If I need help, I will ask David. For the most part, he steps back because he knows if he intervenes without me asking, then the focus changes from what my son did wrong to David bashing my kid. I mean, we're all overprotective of our kids and we should be that's our job as a parent is to protect our kids it took me a little while to explain to a lady that was really struggling that it's okay to be a divided family but like you said you've got to have those common goals and it's important for the kids to see that yes my stepmom and my dad they might struggle but they are going to make it and one of the things that we tell people is if you're if you've got one foot out the door, don't even try to make it. You've already given up, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and as and for me, whenever I talk, whenever I'm coaching um, stepmoms, the first question I ask them, do you still have hope that this relationship can work? If they have no hope, there's nothing I can say or do to them that will change it because it starts with you. Right. If you believe there's a possibility of making this work, then we can have a conversation. If you have no hope, no matter amount of work you're doing, you're, you're dismissing any kind of suggestion, advice, counsel you're, you're gonna get. Because in your head, you're already out the door, as, I, as you said. Um, you know, I see my kids, they're all grown up now. They're in their thirties, mid thirties, and they all have, they're all married. They're all kids of their own. And, you know, we've seen them struggle and, but we've also seen them work through their struggles. We've seen them work and get the help they needed. We've seen them have, uh, negotiate conversations and and I like to think that part of that is having seen us work through our challenges as well and not having given up. Part of, so, so it, and it brings me to um, a, a very, actually two special moments. Um, so when uh, we moved, we moved from Canada to the U.S. in 97, and that was very hard for us. You know, moving teenagers to a different country away from everything they knew is the probably one of the hardest things that we've done uh, but the opportunity for us to start a new life uh, and um, work opportunity for my husband was a one that we couldn't say no to and so we brought the kids down with us and they miss their the girls miss their mom a lot and so they'd call their mom every single day which at the time uh, cost us exorbitant amount of long distance calls we, you know things yes. 
a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, there, there were no cell phones with unlimited plans. I mean, you pay per minute. <laughs> oh, yes. And they would talk an hour to their mom. And it seemed as if it was just at the time I felt like it was on purpose to aggravate me, right? And so, you know, it's, it's the stories we say in our heads that sometimes make things worse. So anyways, um, so when, they gra when the oldest graduated high school, she said to her father, I will never set foot in this house again. He chose her uh, uh, against us. You don't love us. Um, your loyalties are to her, her being me. And uh, we're never coming back to see you again. And so my husband was devastated. And I understand. And, you know, we're both crying. And um, it, I was afraid we were going to have another riff as we had in, in, uh, in 96. But when they, they left and they said to him, you know, I'm going to remove myself. I'm, I'm just going to distance myself. I'm, I'm not going to engage with them because obviously the issue is they have is with me and not necessarily with you. So I encouraged him to call them once a week, to ask them how they were doing, to be curious about, you know, what they were doing, but not to engage me in that conversation, not talk about me, you know, not share anything about me. And um, that was in this, in, in June, in October or November, October of that year. My oldest had started university. She, had, she was in Montreal going back to university there. And she asked her dad um, if she could come and visit. And he said, well, Claudette's going to be here. So, you know, and I <laughs> told him, I said, well, I could go and stay at France. I could go away for the weekend. You know, if you want to have her here, I'm okay. You know, I think it's important that you spend time with her. And so he offered that to her as a, as a suggestion, as a solution. And she said, no, no, Claudette can be there. It's okay. So um, she comes over and I stay in my room. Uh, we had a huge house. So my room was almost like a mini apartment. That's how big my, my master bedroom was. So I could spend all my time there with no problem. Yeah. Um, but we did have our meals together and then she, I was sitting, um, doing scrapbooking and then she said to me, she came and sat down beside me. She said, Claudette, she says, um, I need to tell you something. And I said, okay. And she says, I want to say how sorry I am for the way I treated you. Because she said, you know, um, when I left here, what I said to you wasn't okay, and it was really um, mean, and I want to say I'm sorry. So, um, did you cry? Hugs and tears, and yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, it's like, I never, I never expected that. So, you know, relationship has grown, and, and it, it, it ebbs and flows, right? And so... It, Ten years ago, when my youngest stepdaughter married, um, she gave a speech, and her mom was there as well. And one of the things she said in her speech, she said, um, thank you, Claudette and Dad, for never giving up on your relationship, for always being there, for being consistent, and showing us what 
um, a loving marriage looks like? Oh my gosh, that's like winning the lottery, is it not? It is. I mean, those are the best moments ever in that, um, you know, even though we went through a lot of challenging moments, you know, those are some of the moments that are precious to us and at, to me especially and that, you know, it takes time, right? Um, it took my mother-in-law 19 years to say she loved me and she thought I was the best person for her son. It took her 19 years. Well, good thing you didn't give up or you'd never heard that. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, when you believe in what, you, it, when you believe in, in your relationship, when you believe that, you know, in, in, in what, in your community, when you mm -hmm. believe in the mission you've started, this is what kept us going in, in having the faith that what we were doing may not have always been the right thing, but we, and we all do mis we all make mistakes, but I think it's important to show our kids and my grandkids now and my nephews and nieces, because they've commented, my nephews and nieces are also in their early 30s and late 20s, have show, told us how much they admire our tenacity and in, in showing us how, showing them how um, to work through relationships. Um, and I, you know, being in a set family gives us a lot of opportunities to, to do that, right? Yes. I would think that the kids seeing what we went through, that they would avoid a step family situation at all costs, basically. But then I started thinking the other day, these kids are 19, 19, 19, and 20 now. And the probability of them ending up with someone that already has a child is very, very high. Yep. So they may all, straight off the bat end up in a step family. They may not be like us where there was a nuclear family or, uh, and then it evolved to a step family kind of thing. And it scares me. But at the same time, I know without a shadow of a doubt that they saw their dad and I work through these problems. Yep. And they learn from this. And it's important for us to make sure that they see that you can overcome these challenges. And just because you have a bad day, don't look at it as, oh, my relationship's ending because we got in a fight. Look at it as it's a bad day. And you made a comment. Uh, you said stories in our head makes things worse. Oh, my goodness. That is so true. We did a 28 days to change your thinking challenge in the Nacho Kids Academy because we know that what we get in our head is bad sometimes. And I'll say it, your mind is not your friend. And so I did all this research and I really enjoyed this. I probably enjoyed it more than the people in the academy, honestly, because I was shocked that the number of thoughts you have a day and the percentage of those thoughts that are the same as the day before is like 80 to 90 percent. Okay, so you're thinking the same stuff every day. If it's negative, guess what? Every day you're thinking negative. And then we had a um, guest at our church a couple years ago named Dr. Daniel Amen. Yes, I know him. Yes. Yes. And the ants, automatic negative thinking. And it's true. You can ride down the road, be having a great morning, and all of a sudden you think, oh, well, I remember when David said this to me and it made me mad. But that was eight years ago. 
Why is that coming up? And it may be as simple as you saw a bird, you saw something. It's crazy how our mind reacts to things and it thinks it's protecting us where it's actually hurting us. And it's really important, I'm sure that um, you would agree with this, to make the sure you have positive thoughts and journaling is great. Mm-hmm. You know, five positive, uh, five positives a day. And, and I don't care if it's the same thing every day. And even self-affirmations. Yeah. When my son was little, we started this thing on the way to daycare. And I would tell him to repeat after me. And I'd say, say, I am loved. And he would go, I am loved. And we, we would just do stuff like that. And it empowers you. And once you can recognize these negative thoughts and stop them, your life will be so much better. And sometimes it may just be refocusing. Sometimes it can be, look, you tell yourself, stop, you know, scream at yourself. Or you say, wait a minute, that is an unrealistic thought. That's not real. I've got a very vivid imagination, which is funny because I'm not a visual thinker. I'm not one of these people that can walk in a room and go, oh yeah, I can see this here. I can see this. That's not me. But I can see a plane hitting the car going down the interstate, you know? So it's like, wait a minute, that's not a realistic thought. That's fear from somewhere back. And it may even be in my DNA from my great, great grandma that got hit by a plane. Who knows? (laughs) But we have to be deliberate in our thinking. And it's so important And especially, I think, for kids nowadays to learn this, because I really feel like, and I'm going off on a tangent here, but I really feel like that people that are suicidal, if they could get a hold of that thinking and get control of their mind, that they would never get to the point that they're hearing, you're not worth anything. You know, you suck as a parent. You're a bad person. Nobody loves you. You can't let your mind go there. But we've also learned that you can convince your mind of anything. I read when I was doing that, that you can convince yourself that you've climbed Mount Everest. Your mind doesn't know that you haven't done it. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? I know you had to study all this in your psychology stuff, but it just, it flabbergasted me. So, which brings me to one of the first courses I took was positive psychology and David Burns uh, wrote the book, Good, uh, Feeling Good. And he talks all about what you just shared and which was interesting because at the time um, before being a stepmom coach, I used to be a hairstylist. And so I would be driving in my car and when I would drive, I noticed that every time I would drive home and the, and the girls were home, I would mentally um, rehearse all kinds of negative stuff in my head. And then I would pump myself that by the time I got home, I was angry. Even though I wasn't angry before, by the time I got home, I was angry. And the kids were like, why are you such an angry mood? And so the B word was attached to me every time (laughs) I came home. Oh, that be at uh, home because I would be driving and I would listen to the news or whatever and something was said it would spark something and then I would get mad and I bet you they didn't do the dishes their clothes will be all over the place it'll be a mess blah, 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 blah. and so I got angry and so when I took this class um uh, from the and the book was uh, feel good from David Byrne 
um, burn or burns. Anyways, one of our the teacher made us wear an elastic band around our wrist that every time we said we thought a, nev a negative thought, we would snap it. <laughs> Let me say, once you snap that rubber band many times and your wrist is red, you start to think, hmm, maybe I should stop it. And um, I'm a strong believer, a, a believer in journaling. And so during those years, I journaled a lot. I think I have a stack of journals from way back then. And I would write everything that annoyed me, knowing this was, you know, a safe place that once it was written there, I could close the book. And that was it. Mm -hmm. um, and then later on, uh, through more research, I would write um, five successes at the end of my day, five things that I was grateful for. And so I did this for almost two years. And I noticed a change in myself and in the, in the people around me. And so our thinking really dictates how what kind of relationship we have. And so think about what it is, your, your, your thought process. And that's why I love coaching so much because a lot of times we can help um, a stepmom or help someone with your thinking process and asking you, well, is that really true? Are you really sure this is what's actually happening? Have you like, have you asked your husband or your partner or your stepkids if that is how they're thinking? And a lot of times I say, oh, no, I know it. Well, how do you know it? You know, it's your gut, your intuition. And I'm a, I love my, my intuition. I'm a firm believer in intuition. But I also have to ask, well, you know, what, what is the, the, your proof that it's true, right? Or is it just instinct? And if it's instinct, test it by asking. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to ask. Like, ask your husband, like, you know, I'm sensing you're not very happy with me at this moment. Am I assuming right or not? And then he'd be saying, you know, I just had a very tiring day today. You know, I had this phone call and it got me upset. And it's, it, it, my day didn't turn out the way I thought. Oh, wow. I thought it was about me. No, it's not about you. So, so it's really important to, you know, clarify, ask those questions. And ask your head, like, is this really true? Is this what is actually going on? Or is this, like, my feelings of being insecure or I'm tired or maybe I should be eating because I'm hangry? You know, all these stuff. Yeah. To check out and see, like, hmm, what is this really about truly? Yeah, um, the kids, we had chores for the kids. And I know we had talked about this a minute ago about rules and things like that. And we always suggest that people have agreed upon house rules and consequences. They can't be my rules. They can't be David's rules. They have to be agreed upon house rules and consequences. Now, the bio parent is the one to enforce those consequences if they choose not to, that's their decision. And we have to be okay with that. But it's, it's really important to have those. And I know with us, we had like the kids would rotate chores. That way somebody didn't do the dishes all the time. One day it was one kid, one day it was the next. And David always helped this one kid do the dishes. And it drove me nuts. I'm like, 
He's 16 friggin' years old. Teach him how to do it properly because they, I don't think they, we ever explained to them how a dishwasher works. So they thought if you just throw everything in there together, that it would clean in between. I mean, I, I don't know. So, but it drove me nuts. Every time I would walk in there and see him helping him, I'm like, oh my gosh, you are coddling this child. And he's never going to be able to live on his own. And, you know, because what it is, is we see something and that's really, it might be our trigger, but that's not really what we're seeing. What we're seeing is this child's lazy. This child's never going to be anything. So it just grows. But just recently, I learned that David did that because that was his way of spending 10 minutes of alone time with his kid. Mm -hmm. So like you said, the way I saw it was not what was happening. And it's funny you brought up the um, rubber band. Girl, I'd have probably had to have surgery from the whips on my hand. But one thing that I've learned, and I don't know if you've ever heard of Mel Robbins. Yes, I have. Uh, yes, in the five-second rule. Yes. That's kind of the same thing. You're distracting yourself and changing your thought because you popping that rubber band stops you from thinking what you're thinking. And then you talked about um, worrying with the stepkids, you know, getting mad before you get home. I know people that on Wednesday, they're upset about the kids coming Friday. So they spend two days miserable. And of course, they're not going to be happy when the kids come because they've fed themselves all this negativity for two days. And I'm not judging anybody because I'm guilty of that. But I've learned to not do that. It is unhealthy. It is not beneficial to your relationship with your significant other. I truly believe that we as step parents have a type of PTSD. There are things that can trigger us and just set us off. And one reason there was a gap in my helping people secretly to helping people um, more publicly, I guess, or um, in a more public forum, I guess, was because I would read stuff in the group and I'd get mad and it would trigger something. That happened with me and I'd come in and the kid that had the I had the bad memory of would say something and I would just kind of like and it had nothing to do with that. That showed me that I hadn't let that go completely. And I really learned through this and it was hard, y'all. I'm not gonna lie, it was so hard. Every day you have to give yourself and these kids a clean slate yeah. because we are not perfect. I was a I made good grades in school, but I was a horrible kid. I mean, I was the one that would talk back and I was rebellious, which I'm still rebellious. That's something that's apparently in my DNA too. But you have to learn to control those things and realize that you're not helping yourself by letting your mind be consumed with these negative thoughts. And it's so important to, like you said, journaling. You should take those journals and write a book, girl. Well, I have looked at those journals and, um, you know, use those as um, part of the articles I write for Stepmom Magazine and, and other articles I've written. And when I read them, um, it makes me really sad yeah. to see who this person was mm -hmm. so many years ago. But then again, you have to look at it and say, Look how far I've come. Yeah. Find the positive. Yeah. And so those journals are there. They're they're in a safe place. And I look at them um, occasionally. You know, there's um, a lot of grieving still to be done. And I think the part of it is the grieving process is an ongoing journey as mm -hmm. well, right? 
for the things I didn't know right. and for the support that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so I need to remind myself, you know, the community we have today didn't exist back then. We did the best we could with the information we had. And so, uh, you know, and I know better now. And so I'm doing better today. And of course, I mean, there are always going to be moments where we do two steps forward, one step back, and it's like, oh, okay, it's one of, when you realize, oh, it's one of those moments again, I'm just not going to engage in that type of situation. It helps to lessen, shorten the, le the learning curve, mm -hmm. right? Instead of engaging in negative um, instances, in, in negative comments, uh, in negative situations, you say, oh, it's one of those moments. Okay, I know it'll go over and, or I know what to do now. Well, just give it time. And oftentimes it's a lot shorter because one of the things I see stepmoms who come and work with me is I want it to be perfect. Well, it's not going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. One, uh, you're always going to have some issues or some struggles. Any relationship, it doesn't matter how amazing it is, you will always have some glitches down the road. And that actually helps us to grow as individuals, as people, as couples, as a family, as a community, because we need to learn to grow and, and, and blossom. Right. And then, um, but, but the thing is, is to not um, push them away, but to see them as learning curves and, and opportunities for growth uh, and to um, merge and, and grow even stronger as a, as a step family, as individuals, for your couple. And, and I like to think of our family as a community because we have seven grandkids and I have uh, sons-in-laws and a daughter-in-law. And so we're a community, you know, it's a huge family. And, you know, we all have our little quirks and, and I'm sure they see me as like, oh yeah, like she's doing one of those things. Mm -hmm. yeah, so. It's, um, I like that. I like the community, looking at it as a community. That's, that's really good. Almost like a neighborhood. You know, you can go to Connie next door and get eggs if you need to, because, you just help each other and you support each other. And that's really important. I like that. Um, I wanted to tell you something about the journaling. I don't know um, if you're, what your plans are if you pass away with your journals, but I would tell your husband to burn them. <laughs> and the reason I say that is apparently a therapist told my mom to write down thoughts. And a lot of them were negative. She was a very negative thinker. And I think being exposed to that, in a way, it helped me to not want to be that way, but it also hurt me for her. But as when she passed away a few years ago, I was going through her stuff, and I found some journal um, entries that they really hurt me. They really mm -hmm. hurt me. And I know that she was hurting when she wrote them, but it didn't make me feel any better about it because I'm like, ah, oh, you know, but then when I remember to hurt people, hurt people. In the end, even though, like I said, she was passed away, it still hurt me. And it, it bothers me that um, I didn't wasn't able to address that with her when she was alive. But again, that's that negative thinking and the guilt. And I can't go back and change it. So I have to move on. And I have to make a conscious effort 
to not fall into that pattern. My mom was one of those people that you could call her and say, hey, what are you doing? I'm getting ready to go take a shower. Be glad you got water. It was just, there was always a negative to it. But it was funny because she would always talk about my dad and how he would rehearse conversations in his head about work. Well, if they say this, I'm going to say that. And if they say this, I'm going to say that. She said, do you know how many hours he wasted of his life predicting what didn't happen? You know, it's like the um, fortune-telling aunt. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, when, when we do fortune-telling, we're not living in the present. And uh, oftentimes, I like to think of it as we're sitting in the rocking chair. We, we feel like we're doing something, but you're not going anywhere. Yes. That's what worrying is like, you know, sitting in that rocking chair, rocking back and forth. You feel good because you think you're doing something, but you're actually not going anywhere with that thought process. Right. I know a lot of people will say, if you could go back in time, and that's one question that we started asking people in the beginning, is if you could go back in time, what is something that you would do differently or tell your younger self before you got into a blend? And a lot of times my answer um, when I've been asked that is I would nacho sooner. But honestly... I think that's not really the truth because I have learned to appreciate the struggles we went through. It made my husband and I have a much stronger relationship. It allowed me to have a relationship with these stepkids. That's awesome. I learned to love them for who they are individually. The bond is different with each one. And that brings me to a good question. I want your opinion on this. How do you feel when people say that you should love your stepkids like your own? Um, you know, it, it's um, it, it bothers me. It bothers me in that um, you can't put kids all in the same basket and love them like all the same mm -hmm. because you're not embracing each child's individual personality. Uh, you know, like I see my, I have three sisters and uh, I love all my sisters in a, in a different kind of way. There's one we, we sort of not um, engaged with because she disengaged with us. She felt we weren't good enough for her type of thing. So, but that's another right. story. But, but even with our kids, right, each one has their own personality. I have my oldest stepdaughter who's very um, atypical. Like she's very like bossy and and structured, and <laughs> and so we have okay some some butting heads at occasion. Um, she doesn't like to have discussions, uh, and she addresses them as arguments. And for me, it's like, well, I thought it was discussions, but anyways, and and so that's another thing. My youngest stepdaughter, she's artistic, so we we bond on the artistic thing. I I do watercolor, and so she does watercolor, and so we bonded there. And so, and my son is um. He's my son and he's a mechanic and he's all over the place and he's very opinionated and very rebel, just like his mother is. And so, you know, I, I see myself in him as mm -hmm. well. So we see, you know, if I said I love all my kids the same, I wouldn't allow them to be who they are. I wouldn't, you know, embrace some of their uniqueness um, that for who they are. I can't. I know I love them uh, equally, but not the same. 
Do you understand? Oh, I definitely do. I've got two sisters and our bonds were different with our parents. I'm a daddy's girl, 100%. And I've said this before, I I must have came out, you know, when my mom gave birth to me holding a sign says, I love my daddy. And also, um, my mom and I, we butted heads tremendously. Um, I think that I'm like your other stepdaughter that's kind of, you know, da 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 And with my mom, it was, um, people say it's because we were so much alike. Mm-hmm. You may not see it, but that may have been it. But I will tell you that if something happened and I was sick or um, I needed advice, I called my mom. Even though we might have fought 20 seconds before that, is you know, we could we could change roles. And one thing that we've talked about with the loving the kids differently or feeling like that you should love the kids all the same, David's kids and even my son will tell you they would be upset. Well, my son would be hurt if I love David's kids like I did him because he's part of me and yeah. it, he's mine. There's there's a difference, but he knows I love David's kids. But he also knows that it's a different type of love than I have for him. And that's okay. And David's kids feel the same way. They've told David, yeah, it would hurt them if he loved Jackson like he does them. I mean, that's it's almost unnatural to ask people to do that. And the thing is, you know, when you see your child, like when I see my son, right, I see p- bits and pieces of me in him, mm-hmm. like hereditary. I'm talking about physical traits. And and so I even see physical traits of his dad. Like he he does this weird funny thing with his eyebrow that I I know no one else can do. Mm-hmm. And I know that's from his father. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, "Oh, your father does that with like this little thing." And and my stepdaughter does a funny thing with her lip, which is just like her mom. And the other one does a funny thing just like her dad. And so those are little bits and pieces that you embrace because they're unique people Mm -hmm. with individual characteristic personality, you know, way of doing things. And so you love the person for who they are and not because they're your kid. Yeah. Or not because they are your husband's kids. Right. Exactly. So you, so I think it helps you when you love the kids for who they are, it, I don't want to use the word forces, it encourages you to appreciate that child as an individual rather than, oh, you're um, his kids or they're my kids. And so I need to love them because they're our kids. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, doesn't mean anything. You love these kids for who they are as individuals, not because they're your husband's kids, but because you appreciate them, who they are. You, you've taken the time to get to know yes. them, spend time with them, to share experiences with them. You, you, you've actually taken the time to, you know, understand who they are, their tics, and, and the same for them with you, right. right? So they've gotten to learn who you are. And yes, they get upset at you and because they, they would want to see you as, a person you're not, and um, I, I'm not the type of person who pretends. No, um, what you is what you get, <laughs> uh, which has gotten me in a lot of trouble over the years. But I think uh, after 29 years, my husband sort of appreciates it now because there's no guessing. Yes, you mm-hmm. know, 
it's who I am. And then I wouldn't be able to be anybody else than me. And so, you know, when I see my stepdaughters and, and you know, they, they appreciate that piece of me, even though it can be hard for them at times to see even my son, um, he'll say, oh, yeah, I guess you're going to say this or that. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I am, and I'm not going to pretend. And Or, you know, uh, yeah. So, so loving your kids for who they are rather than loving the kids all the same is not the same. Right. And one thing that you said, and this is so important for people to remember, is it takes time. And I remember reading in our pre-marriage stuff that my research, because again, I was determined that we were going to get into this and it wasn't going to be easy, but we were going to be well prepared. You know, we were going to just kick butt. And I remember reading that it takes on average eight years to blend. And David and I are like, we, we got this two years max. I mean, really, that was our thought process. And the more that you realize things, you're like, there is a reason that there's that eight-year mark. And it's because you can't force these bonds. The more you try to force it, the more resistance you're going to have, and it won't happen. You have to let it form naturally. You have to realize what you do have in common with these kids, whether it's art or talking about fighting or, you know, whatever your commonality is. And then they need time to learn who you are and to learn that, hey, she's a good person. She's got a good heart. She has good intentions. She loves my dad. And for them to see that, it's not instantaneous. No. Yeah, Patricia Papernell wrote that uh, research paper about, um, you know, the stages of um, step family. And she says seven to to eight years and sometimes it can never bond yes you know that that is that is something we need to accept and understand that there are moments and there are certain situations where some step families will never bond mm -hmm. together and so again it's about personality and as you said you know the two year thing you know i i see that as you know thinking as a a nuclear family where the honeymoon phase of a couple is about two mm -hmm. years right and so but you're just two people right there's no kids. right and so that two-year phase of the honeymoon phase you know you get to learn one another you adapt and you're all in love and everything's so beautiful and then you get into the reality after the two-year phase of the honeymoon for a nuclear family so when you're thinking about sip families there's not just two people and there's not just the kids you're talking about again we're talking about the community right mm -hmm. you're talking about an ex-spouse you're talking about ex-in-laws you're talking about their in-laws you're talking about aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody has an opinion mm -hmm. and so you know that's why i love the the concept of having it as a community everybody you know participates in the uh, well-being of the step family and so it takes time it takes time to get to know one another especially if you're not spending 24 7 time together especially if your stepkids are coming over every second weekend or you see them only in the summertime there's there's not that 
bond that's being created over shared experiences over the long run. And so, you know, let's be realistic in having realistic expectations. Amen. That was, um, I think that was one of the first blogs that David wrote. Um, it might actually say I wrote it, but he wrote it. And it was about having realistic expectations. And we didn't ever really discuss what my role would be. It was just kind of assumed that I would take over the motherly role, you know, the helping them with homework and things like that, especially with David's schedule. And then it was, well, things will be like a nuclear family. But I think that goes back to back in the day, you know, in the 60s, when people split up, you didn't have every other weekend visitation. The next man adopted those kids, pretty much. That was how it worked. So the stepdad or the stepmom, however, was more of the motherly figure. And it was it was just so different. So now we're trying to adjust to all these people that don't know how to deal with the blend and they're trying to make it a nuclear family because that's what they've been told that their role is. And they have unrealistic expectations. And I've learned that in a blend, it is best not to have any expectations. And see, um, I actually wrote an article, I think it comes out in August about the career woman, you know, becoming that the expectations of becoming the mom figure because you know we have the equipment <laughs> to be a mom. Yeah. You know, but that doesn't mean you have to be a mom, mm -hmm. right? Um but I'd like to address your your comment about having no expectations. And um for me personally I love to tell people it is better to have some form of expectation than no expectation at all. Because no expectation is you have no boundaries, you're letting everybody walk over you. So have some form of expectation, even though they may not be as high as what you would have originally think, have some form of expectation. An expectation of being respected. Oh, okay, yeah, right? yeah, I, I follow you with that. Okay. And, and so, and that be, because a lot of times people will be very um, saying, I have zero expectations. And so, and, but then they're being walked over and they're walking on eggshells all the time and they're like being like used as a doormat. And so for me, I like to say it is handsome expectations, expectations such as, you know, being respected, being safe in your home. Yes. You know, and it comes back to setting healthy boundaries, right? And so you have to have some form of expectations because raising kids with zero expectation is not a, a good thing because then they feel they're not loved, they're not accepted, they're not appreciated. They feel you're, you, you don't care. So even though it's hard, have some form of expectation, but make them realistic for your home, your you, your home life, and your for your step family. Right, and maybe I should have clarified when I said that because I, I completely agree with what you're saying. You know, you um, need to have expectations as far as safety. I I need to feel safe in my home. That's a given. Uh, my stepkids, they may not 
in the beginning, they may have, have made snide comments or things like that. But I remember one time, one of them kind of bucked up to me, for lack of a better word. And he was immediately put in his place by his dad. So, yes, my expectation is that my husband will make sure that, you know, um, I'm not abused by verbally by mm-hmm. the kids or whatever. Yeah. But I was referring to it more as don't have expectations of it being the nuclear family. Don't have expectations of Christmas being wonderful because you, you've got to split this with other people. Don't have expectations of the bond that you'll have with these kids. Don't have expectations that they're going to treat you like their mom because you're not. So that's more of how I was looking at it. But I definitely agree with what you're saying about um, the basic, uh, what's the word, like self-care expectations. That's that's definitely a given. And so how, and and I I understand what you're saying um, and thanks for that clarification where I would say, you know, don't expect anything for Christmas. Maybe say, well, expect at least courtesy. Expect uh, for you to to spend time maybe um, some some basic level. So oftentimes when um, we say, I don't expect my, I'll give you an example, Okay. okay? So we have three kids. All our kids have kids of their own, so we have seven grandkids, and um, holidays is always chaotic, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> they, they all have in-laws, and the in-laws are very adamant that they have their kids at, at their yes. house. And so what am I going to do? Argue with them? And so instead of saying, well, I don't expect to see my kids over the holidays, what I tell them is, I understand you want to slash need to spend time with your in-laws or the other family. How about that I expect to see you at some point Mm -hmm. over that two-week period? Right, right, exactly. At some point. So that is my expectation. I'm not expecting you to be here on Christmas Day or New Year's Eve or Thanksgiving, but I do expect to see you at some point. So at least it lets them know, oh, she would like to see us at some point during that two-week period. So that's creating a a realistic expectation, and it's not putting me in a position of being a martyr or a victim Mm -hmm. because I've made myself clear. Now, whether they respect that or not, that's another another ballgame. But I have set some expectations that I feel are pretty reasonable and pretty clear that within that time frame, I expect to at least see some of you. Right. Right. I think um, a lot of parents or step parents, well, we should have the kids Christmas morning and, you know, oh my gosh, holidays, Mother's Day. Oh, Lord, have mercy. We could write a whole book on Mother's Day and even Stepmother's Day. You know, it was created because it was actually created because this little girl loved her stepmother. But now yeah. it's turned into a day that stepmothers feel unwanted, unappreciated, unloved. I mean, it's just crazy. And I don't know where this happened in my life, but I know for a fact when my son had to go to his dad's for Christmas and I didn't get, have him Christmas morning the first year, it broke my heart. And then it hit me and I'm like, you know what? 
just because December 25th falls on such and such day, and he's going to be with his dad every other year till two o'clock that day, and with me the next year, that I can have Christmas Eve on Christmas Day. That's okay. So my traditions changed. When I get my son back on Christmas Day, that's our Christmas Eve. So that next morning, he could wake up and quote, quote, play Santa or whatever. So this, the whole holiday thing, it is so stressful. And it was even stressful when I was in a nuclear family because my mom had expectations that I would be there such and such time. His mom had expectations. And then you feel like you're letting everybody down. It makes you not enjoy the holidays. And it's just, it's crazy. It really is. So yes, realistic expectations with a lot of grace. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I in our family, holidays was uh, a chaos where we would spend more time driving from one house to another and trying to hush, hurry, hurry, hurry. And, and so our kids came to hate Christmas Day yes. because hurry up, open your presents, hurry up, we got to get in the car, drive two hours to my mom's, hurry up, let's eat, hurry up, open presents, hurry up, another two hour drive to my in-laws house, hurry up, eat. And, and so it, it, it was crazy. So what we've done uh, for our grandkids so we can spend time with them without putting any undue pressure on anybody is a week or two, the weekend or two before Christmas, we have what we call a camp grandmère. Grandmère being the French word for grandmother um, that my oldest granddaughter gave me. And so that weekend, what we do is we have all the grandkids at our house and we have a one or two day sleepover and it's like free for all for the grandkids basically. And it gives the parents um, then, the right to go shopping. I exactly. That is that is exactly it. And then um then uh when they come and pick them up for lunch the next day, that is our Christmas. So we exchange gifts and, and again we've cut down a lot on, on the gift giving because it's about the experience. It's not how much you know, you get or something. And so our perspective has changed over the years. And we've created this new tradition where our grandkids are now talking about it in June and July about Camp Romare and what we're going to do this year. And that was so much fun. And so, you know, it's about creating traditions that will reflect your, your family and what will make you happy. It doesn't have to be on a specific date. It doesn't have to be a specific occasion. You know, create some rituals, traditions, new shared experiences that these kids will love and appreciate way down the road when they become adults and, and uh, share with their kids in the future. Right. Um, David's mom, and I may get this completely wrong, but we used to go to her mom's house Christmas Eve. And then Christmas morning, we always went to Mama's house and had breakfast and then did the little gift thing. Well, of course, there were years that my son wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And here we go back to the thought process in our mind because I could sit there and, oh, my baby's not here. He's not included. But instead, I said, you know what? I'm going to enjoy the time with David's kids. And then the next year, my son was there. And I don't think it um, bothered my son as much as it did me. 
And you have to really put things into perspective sometimes, a different perspective. And it's just um, don't add stress. You know, just don't. And I do want to go back to one thing before we wrap up. You were talking about personalities. And one thing that we also do in the Nacho Kids Academy is the Myers-Briggs personalities. And we'll have the um, people, the couple, take the test. And then I'll do the comparisons and show them a better way to communicate. Or, you know, you don't say these things to them because this is how they take it. And I've also learned that through life, not everybody likes everybody. And that's okay. I remember this lady, golly, this was probably 25 years ago. It was a new job. And I was training in New York for the job for about a month. And everybody had warned me about this lady. Oh, she's a grumpy, whatever. She won't like you. I'm like, she'll love me. You know, so rather than being my awesome self, you know, I was like, I'm 100, 110%. I'm going to make this woman love me. She hated me with a passion. There was nothing I could do to get this woman to not snarl her nose when she saw me. I mean, it was just, it wasn't worth the effort. You know, people are going to like you. People are going to not like you. People are going to use you if you let them. And I think I read somewhere that 10% of the people you engage with will not like you or not bond with you, something like that. And I'm like, well, again, look at it as positive. 90% of the people will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's okay. I mean, I think as long as people respect you and don't abuse you, you not everybody has to like you. And you have to be okay with this. Otherwise, you become a people pleaser. And then you are um, not being authentic to who you are. You, you're like a chameleon. Yes. Right? To, to, to trying to be make everybody happy um i have a big issue with this people who try to make everybody love them because then i i i question are you being true to the relationship between you and i or are you just doing what you need to do in order for me to like you and so that creates doubt and and mistrust in the relationship for, with me uh and and another person um you know and i could talk another hour or two about trust and in, in, uh, in relationships because um, that is another very important key um, that trust needs to be built over time uh, with shared experiences. Well, we're going to have to do another podcast on trust. I'm, ma- I'm yep. making a note seriously because um, I know from past experience, um, David and I both were in relationships where we were cheated on. So there were trust issues. You carry that with you. And then there are things that happen where with the ex, well, you didn't know that. So it might cause a trust issue. So, yeah, we definitely have to do that. We'll go ahead. I'll send you the link again and we'll plan it or whatever. But I've really enjoyed talking to you. And I think that you are awesome. And I can see where you've helped a lot of people and um, you're encouraging and you have realistic views on things because of what you've been through and to come from not having, like you said, Google to help you or the smart step family books from Ron Deal. Um, Man, you're awesome. You're awesome. And I'm so glad that you and your husband got back together after your brief separation. 
because that's what led you here. And that's what led your stepdaughter to tell you that she was sorry for treating you the way she did. And y'all, that is the ultimate prize or the ultimate goal is to not just survive this blend and to tolerate the stepkids, but to one day feel that love with them. Thank you. Thank you very much, Lori, because, you know, having been in this relationship for 29 years, sometimes we, we forget right? The, the journey we've been through and, and how, you know, all the things we've gone through. And, and I love that you're, you're, you shared about Nacho Kids and, um, you know, and explained it a little bit to me uh, prior to our call. So I appreciate that. And, and thank you for doing this because I think so many people need to hear and understand the positive messages about being in the step family there's so much negativity and and bashing and complaining and pitching and moaning and all of this that we need to hear okay so you've complained what can you do now right to make it positive so because our kids our step kids deserve to have or to see that there's hope mm -hmm that there's ways of making life better that it, where they're not doomed that they're they're not doomed because they came from a step family there's actually some really positiveness in being in the step family and that there are resources available to help you and if you didn't like the resource you had like that therapist who told us to get a divorce there are other resources that will help you to move forward and navigate you and to what you really want to see happen in your life right so thank you so much oh thank you and I do have a question was there a little tiny part of you that wanted to contact that therapist after you started doing this and say look here buddy you were so wrong and telling me that and you yeah. know it, it, yeah, it was like see See, I did it. Aha. Uh -huh. I can get a good good thing I didn't hear. Oh yes. Oh yeah. I was like, uh-huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> I, I'm just in shock that they told you that. But you know, I guess that was again a while back where they didn't know. And and we we do see that where you know the therapists are like, well, if he's not gonna let you parent his kids, then you need to leave. And I've actually had people in my Facebook group and in the Nacho Kids Academy share Nacho Kids with their therapist. And they're like, oh, well, I never thought of it that way. And one uh, lady said, my therapist is referring people to the academy now. Good. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, we we need more therapists to be involved in understanding how step families function, that they don't function like nuclear families. You can't be... Uh, teaching parenting, uh, giving parenting advice to step families as if they were nuclear families. It doesn't work. Right. And, and you're creating more angst and dismissing the step parent and making them feel worse about who they are rather than um, embracing that it's a different type of family. Yes. And the last thing that we need is for us mostly stepmoms, you know, we normally deal with stepmoms. There are some stepdads, but you're dealing with a stepmom that she's struggling. She feels like the kids hate her and, you know, her 
husband and her fight all the time because of the stepkids. And then they go into a Facebook group and they ask for advice and everybody bashes them. No, no. And I just, I, I understand that there's tough love. There's constructive criticism. There's um, ways to approach people, but bashing them or making them feel worse because they don't love their stepkids like their own or judging them it just, it blows my mind. And I find it funny. I've had several people in our group that says, I used to think nachoing was crazy. And four years later, here I am. Thank you. You know, because a lot of times people go, oh, well, I don't understand that. And then you ask them, well, how old are your stepkids? Well, they're two. Okay. Well, come back to me in 10 years. You might want to look at this, you know. And what really amazes me is the there are very few people and it's common and it's normal to not look for help till you need it. And, yep. you know, David and I did our research. Well, I did most of the research. But even in the beginning, if somebody would have told us about nachoing or nacho kids, we would have been like, that's not us. You know? Yeah. And one thing I wanted to mention, too, and I found this very interesting. I read an article one time that says, for a house to feel like a home, it takes seven years. So think about that in relation to a blended family quote, quote, blending, as some people may see it, being eight years. You're talking yeah. about people with personalities, different dynamics, different issues compared to a house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you need to give it time. You can't rush things. Um, you know, if you look at a flower blooming from a seed to that beautiful bloom, it took a lot of struggle. Mm -hmm nurturing and caring for it to be the beautiful flower we see today. It didn't come from nothing. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Claudette, tell people how they can find you. So you can reach me at stepmomcoach.com. I also wrote a book on the stepmom's book of boundaries, which is available on Amazon. So a lot of the things I talked about and shared with Lori is, can be seen and found in my, my book. Um, I also offer online courses and uh, programs, self-paced programs on different topics that help um, mostly stepmoms and uh, their partner. Thank you again. Thank you, Lori. Bye, Bye. You know, it was very interesting talking to Claudette. Something hit me that I'd never thought of before. You've got stepmoms that communicate with the bio moms. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that that was just the control thing. The I'm the scheduler. I can keep up with little Johnny's soccer schedule better than dad can. I can remember to make doctor's appointments and, you know, just kind of the stepmom's more organized kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I realized that a lot of it is the stepmom doesn't trust the bio dad to talk to the bio mom. Because if she's not in that conversation, she don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, I can see that. You're talking about getting back together? What y'all talking about? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I never thought of it that way. I don't know why. But as Claudette said, trust is um, a very big thing in relationships. Mm -hmm. And I told her that I wanted to have her back on just to talk about trust. Yeah. yeah I think for you and I, there was never, um, like I never had the fear that that's something that was an option. Like you going back, mm -mm. I mean, I just, that was nothing that ever crossed my mind. I don't know how you felt, but I just didn't care. 
if you had a conversation with with him or if you had to meet him for a, a kid swap or whatever, I just I never had that thought. <laughs> I, I never had that thought. I do remember right before we got married when you got the letter of her begging you to come back to her. Baby, come back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't really care for that much, but I didn't think that you would go back. But I also know how hard you work to keep your family together because you didn't want to lose your kids any time at all with your kids. And so I guess it was... Um, so it was, the, it was the fear of not... It was the fear of maybe me going back to her so that I could see my kids more, not going back to her because I, there was feelings there. If anything, yes. But I don't even know that I had that fear because... Just the, I just didn't get that vibe off you. I didn't, um, like you say, when you're done, you're done. You was done. Yeah. She had plenty of chances, and I don't even think that, I think you knew that even if y'all did try to live together again so you could see the kids more often, that it wouldn't be healthy for your kids. No, no, because I think that they would have, they would have grown up seeing a very, very damaged relationship, and they, that's how they would end up modeling their own marriage later on and I didn't want that to happen yeah I do remember one time you and I were um I was getting ready to go to my house obviously we didn't have any of our kids it was before we got married and you were on the phone talking to her about something and just chit-chatting and it was about like your work or something and I remember thinking why is he telling her so much Mm -hmm. and because from my point of view at that point, it was like, if y'all can get along that good, why ain't y'all still together? I mm-hmm. mean, because it was like, almost like two friends just chit-chatting on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I remember I left. Um, I t- told you, I said, I'm just going to go ahead and go. You know, um, I wasn't mean about it or anything. I don't even think you thought anything about it. But I remember riding home and I was like, I just, I'm not comfortable with him telling her about things to do with his income or... um Stuff that's not child related, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And I believe that once you got to my house or whatever, we talked about it, and um, you had a reason why you had told her that. I don't remember what it was now, but I did make it known that I didn't think that she needed to know if you got a raise or changed positions or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure about all that. <laughs> it's been so long ago. Yeah, I mean, I it mean, has. It's been a long time. I mean, I do know that. Initially, I had this, I think I had a little bit of hope that we could have a, a amicable relationship that where we weren't mean to each other and the kids wouldn't have to deal with that. But that quickly, <laughs> that quickly fell away because anything that I told her was used against you. Well, in yeah, the court it, was, it was turned around and used against me. And so I, I quickly learned that, uh, that that relationship, unfortunately, was just not going to be there. Uh, and it wasn't that I was hoping to ever uh, make amends it was just more of you know can can we have a, a a relationship where everybody's just being decent to each other yeah and a, decent, a decent co-parenting relationship yeah and and just it just wasn't in the cards for me no, because she had ulterior motives yeah and and uh i mean we even had initially we even had the kids birthdays together and stuff like that <laughs> You know, where we would split the cost and all this kind of, which, you know, there again, we go back to, you know, logistically, it made sense for that to happen, but um, it just, it just couldn't because um, I just wasn't getting uh, the same thing I was giving. <laughs> yeah, that stopped um, after we got married. Mm-hmm. 
because I remember I met you on the triplets' birthday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just had the birthday party somewhere, and then um, I went to Avery's birthday party with you mm-hmm. before we got married. The couple months before we got married. Yep. Or was it a year before? I can't remember. I think it was. I think it was a long time before. Okay, so it might have been the same year we started dating. Yeah. Oh, it was. It was. Yeah. But that didn't have anything to do with me. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. And I've never had um, shared birthdays with my kid, with his dad. That wasn't in the cards in the beginning. <laughs> and that's okay. My thing when people do that is I worry about the kids expecting it to always be that way and that it may not, and then it causes issues. Well, I I do wonder, and I don't know the answer to this, but I do wonder if it's good for the kids or not. Like when they see their parents doing that, do they do they still have this hope that you know they're going to get back together? Yeah, does it bring back that hope? Right, and so you're you're kind of it's kind of torturous for the kids. You know, I don't know, I don't know if that's it is that way or not. Hey, maybe we can ask one of your kids. Um, yeah, we could. How they thought about it? Yeah, but um. Anyway, lots to think about, yeah. as always. And Claudette, of course, um, mentions the uniqueness of kids. And we talk about even if they're stepkids or bio kids, every kid is unique. My bond with the four stepkids is different with each one of them. My bond with uh, my four kids is different. Exactly. You know, it's not a stepkid thing. Yep. It drives me crazy when people try to put stepkids in a box that it's like, well, if they were my kids, then I, would feel, I wouldn't feel this way. Yeah, you would. <laughs> I mean, if anybody who has multiple kids, if they're honest with themselves, will typically tell you that they have different relationships with different kids and they feel about them differently, sometimes in different times. Dude, there's times when I'm mad at my kids, you know, one of them. I'll be mad at one of them or they're mad at me or our relationship is strained because of something and then it goes back to being okay or whatever. So mm-hmm. there's... Dude, <laughs> yeah. don't tell me it's just because we're stepkids. Well, but the key thing to remember with stepkids is you can't rush things. You don't have that natural bond or biological bond. So that relationship does have to grow over time. Mm-hmm. And I want to mention that first of this year, yeah, January of 2019, Debt released a book. Oh, cool. The Stepmom's Book of Boundaries, How and Where to Draw the Line for a Happier, Healthier Step Family. That sounds interesting. I haven't checked it out yet. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you will. I will. It's in the Amazon cart. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to read it. Yep. You know, I mean, she's got 29 years of knowledge, people. I know. That's a lot. Yep. About time for you to write a book next. Yeah, it's in my notes. It's on my to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can get Claudette to help me. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're talking about being overwhelmed. It's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write a book. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's like, okay, lot. we're doing this and this and this and this. Actually, I had a um, very wonderful member of the Nacho Kids group and the academy. She's a member of the academy. Offered to help me um, with writing a book. Well, you need to take her up on that. I know. Just calm down. <laughs> calm down. Rushing me. Making me stressed out. <laughs> all right. All right, that's our show for today, folks. We will see you back here again next week. Yes. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.